Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as messed up as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Awesome. (sighs) How's your day, Chris? Good, man. Anything exciting? You see what I got? What's on the front burner of your heart? (laughs) Yes, that's a great question. (laughs) Such a good question, man. Oh, my goodness. I wonder how many of our listeners actually remember that. I try and sneak it in there every now and then. So I've got myself a flashlight here because I'm ready to go camping because I think this podcast is going to be intense. Oh, wow. (laughs) I made that joke a couple times with my kids recently and and they were like, what? They said intense months like for something. I was like, oh, it's going camping. And they're like, what? And then they did. They did not like the joke when it came out. So they died inside a little bit like some Uh, of our listeners just did. Everybody just went, oh, God. So you went on a big trip, and so you were ministry leader dad, right? So when you're on a family trip, you're still called to share the gospel and things like that. Tell me about this. Like, how do you, in a big van with your family driving a stinking long time, share Jesus, or did you just device up and keep the peace? Because that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a mix. Like, it's a mix of what we do. So we'll device up for a little while, and then we'll... uh... We'll tell them no screens for a while. So in the morning, like we got rolling at like 5 a.m. Um, actually, I think it was 4 because I just so happened to wake up at 4. So it was like, well, let's go. And uh, and so it was like quiet time until 7 a.m. Like they had nothing until 7, which was hopefully to encourage them to go back to sleep. Right. So we could have some peace and quiet. Um, so we would do that periodically throughout the trip, just um, device up and let them do that, but then have quiet time or whatever. The best thing about having a van and six kids, like it was a 15 passenger van that we rented and six kids. That means like three of them that got their own row. And so they're away from each other and they can't touch each other. And that makes everything so much more peaceful. <laughs> like, Amen. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what they're doing. It's just better. And then like when my, when my, my second or my youngest boy, when he needs to go potty, it's so much easier to <laughs> be in a bottle because you're not, you've got much bigger aisles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I travel as intensely as you. When we have oh. to go potty, we stop the van. We stop, but like it's the in between. Like once every like three or four hours, everybody has to go. But right. once every hour and a half, Isaac has to go, and so he's got a, he's got a pit stop in the middle that we're not stopping for. <laughs> and you've trained him. Like this is actually impressive. This is oh, some. Yeah. Well, he doesn't do it on his own. Like, this is the, my wife says, I get to go in the back and be awkward. <laughs> it's like, yes, you do. He's like, what, five years old? So it's not that awkward. But no. Yeah, it's funny. Good. Okay. So <laughs> asked about a trip, got a little bit more of a story than I expected. <laughs> that's that's there good. There you go. I do, like, this is one, like, when you started asking me, one of the thoughts that came to mind was, you know, some of the things I prepare my kids for when we go skiing. Because something that I wasn't prepared for in when I was in college and whatnot was when I would go skiing. My mom and dad weren't with me. It was me and my brother skiing together. We had hop in a gondola and somebody would spark up a joint and just start smoking out like on the way up the gondola, you know, and they would do it in the gondola or even on the, the lift. And it was like, huh. Uh, that's interesting. I've never been around this like happening in public. That was before it was legalized, you know? Right. And so I tell my kids, I like, I was like, Hey, just so you guys know, like, this is part of ski culture. Like um, a lot of people like that, that ski often smoke out 
and in Colorado, it's legal. Um, so if you guys smell something that smells a little skunky or whatever, doesn't smell like cigarettes or whatever, don't say anything because it's legal. Don't tell them they're going to hell. Don't tell them they're, they're doing drugs or anything like this. <laughs> Keep that to yourself and and let them be. So that was it. Interesting. And so <laughs> if you see a bystander uh, punching a woman on the side of the street, do go and help that woman. Sure. But when it's it, it it's just it's just an interesting thing in regards to it because you're right like smoking is not healthy for us. Sure. And drinking in excess is not healthy for us, but that doesn't mean that everyone every time someone takes a drink, we need to go in there and be like, "Stop. You shall yeah. not drink," you know, yeah. and things like yeah. that. So there is there is something that you taught them about loving the person first in order to earning the right to be heard to journey and accompany with them and things like that. Even though you didn't say it, you kind of built the platform for that reality. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. As a father, how do we model kind of the road to Emmaus pathway where we journey with people first? And I yeah. think that was that was a way to do it. Gondola. And the whole time that like that we were out there, they like whenever they would ride with me, they would see me like whenever because they had social distancing or whatever, but like you could still sit with people. Like as long as they were a chair away from you or whatever. And so they would see me, you know, hopping and hopping in with other people and stuff like that and reaching out to people. And they even saw me get rejected once. Like it was like, cause they saw me having a conversations with people and it was really fun and get to know people. And so many of them were for, from Austin, you know, so many people were from, from Texas, uh-huh. but this one guy, uh, it was just him and it was a four seat lift. So there were, there could be like two seats between us, right. you know, way apart from each other. And, and, and it's like, it's so crammed that it's such a waste of time to send a, a chair up with one person on. It's like, I know it, this is dumb and it makes me mad. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm always very polite. It's like, do you mind if I ride with you? And, and so I saw this guy, like single person in front of me. It's like, do you mind if I ride with you? And, and he's, he must've said no to me. I couldn't tell. Um, but I, so I got up there, I said, do you want me on the right or the left? You know? And he's like, he's like, blah, 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 blah. and he just like turns around skis off gets behind my family and says i don't even effing know you and uh and then i like i I didn't find that out until later when my wife told me so my kids got to see me be rejected and i was like like i i followed the rules like we were we were a seat apart but you know apparently i didn't ask well enough or he didn't answer well enough or i just heard what i wanted to hear um but it was uh interesting to see for my kids to see how how dad reacts to a situation like that wow okay so I'm going to try and transition us. I don't know how (laughs) you're going to do it. We could sit here. That must have been discouraging. It was. Yes. And uh, and, and just recently, Pope Francis has talked about um, how easy it is for us to be infected by the virus of discouragement. Look at you. Man, that transition was amazing, Chris. (laughs) This is like the only compliment you've ever given me on the show. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. It is not. But Mark they do come day. rarely. You're right. You're right. So, and that's what we're talking about today is kind of the the cure, right? The vaccine for the pandemic of discouragement. And uh, and there was an article that was posted that talked a little bit about this over in National Review. And uh, and and so I'm going to start with uh, with two pieces. One, this all starts because the president traveled to the president. My goodness, the wow. Pope, the Holy Father, the traveled of the Catholic Church. <laughs> yes, traveled. My theology is so wrong. <laughs> traveled to Iraq, and he traveled to Iraq, and it was monumental. Why is it monumental? Well, here's a fun fact, Matt. Did you know that Iraqi law prohibits conversion from Islam to other religions? Oh yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. yeah. So, and, to and say, what's the punishment? I think it's 
capital. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so this this idea that he's traveling to a clearly non-Catholic country is very apostolic in nature, and the apostolic mission has a disposition of welcoming people in, which made it very scandalous. Made it, I mean, it was just unbelievable that he took the courage to be able to do so. And the other thing that I thought was really cool, and this wasn't something that that I kind of prepped you for before time, but he spoke in a, a church called Our Lady of Salvation in the same sanctuary that uh, the Baghdad massacre occurred wow. 11 years prior. Wow. And so in October of 2010, militants from Al-Qaeda in Iraq, this is the precursor to ISIS, they stormed into a Sunday evening service and they shot the men, then the women and the children. And then before they could be captured or held accountable, they blew themselves up. 58 died in total. Wow. And he's there at that same sanctuary. And in that same sanctuary are some of the survivors of that massacre. And it's just there's something redeeming about his presence in that area, in that arena. And But there's also something that there's a residual, like you don't get over it. I, yeah. I, I grew up in, uh, in, in Littleton, Colorado, the home of the Columbine shooting. And, uh, and you, you just don't get over it. Our community there is still remembers and we should, it's important. Um, but, uh, but there's something profound and healing about the Pope going into that area and yeah. celebrating mass there. And he spoke to him that this is, this is kind of an area where martyrdom is very common and where being a, a Catholic, a believer is very difficult. And to speak about discouragement in a place like that has power. Because we get discouraged because, oh no, we, we, we don't have as many people coming to church. Their discouragement is, oh no, I lost 10 of my friends because we were going to church, yep. right? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And so there, there's a perspective in this. And the reason why I say that is I don't want us just to be discouraged because maybe the bishop did this or our adoration chapel isn't open yet or something like that. Like he, when he's talking to these people, these are people that have seen blood spilled for the faith. And yeah. that can be extremely discouraging. Like that's Absolutely. the context. Absolutely. And I, like ministry leaders, I don't know, like I know that I periodically get discouraged with you know the kind of traction we have, or the traction we get in um, moving the needle with regards to evangelization and outreach and things like that, and I know sometimes I, I get I get discouraged. I'm like like nothing's going to change. Like this is going to be the same in a hundred years as where it is I am right now. Why am I doing this? Like why am I spinning my wheels? You know that with something that's not going to last. You know, and that's that's just one of those things that can get discouraging. And I and like I have a feeling ministry leaders across the nation, across the world, have that same feeling. It's exhausting just to hold the line. Yeah. Like like for the youth ministers that I've talked to, being at fifty percent of what they were before the pandemic is actually a spectacular goal, right? Yeah. Like everyone else is like, well, I'm only getting, you know, thirty percent and different things like that. So holding the line, even that, is something that's. That's that's heroic uh, in in action and things like that. So, um, here's here's what the Holy Father says. We know how easy it is to be infected by the virus of discouragement, at uh, that at times seems to spread all around us, and this is true. Everyone is is tired of this pandemic. Everyone is discouraged by so many different things, and we hunger for things that we cannot. Th those hungers cannot be fulfilled. He continues on. Yet the Lord has given us an effective vaccine against that nasty virus. And it's not in two doses, my man. Are you ready for it? <laughs> it is the hope born 
uh, the persevering prayer and daily fidelity to our apostles. With this vaccine, we can go forth with renewed strength to share the joy of the gospel as missionary disciples and living signs of the presence of God's kingdom of holiness, justice, and peace. And so we've talked almost incessantly about that book, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. Yep. And he is saying that the hope is in our fidelity to our apostles, to that apostolic reality that it was carried to this point through times that were more difficult and discouraging, and we will continue to carry it forward. It says apostolates, right? Sorry, apostolates. You're correct. Yeah, I just want to make sure because that's what I thought I remembered reading. Um, so say that, say that phrase again. Okay. Daily fidelity to our apostolates. Yes. Yeah. And, and what is that? What's an apostolate? It's our mission. It's a ministry. So daily fidelity to what God has called us to. Like that's the cure. Like hope in that, hope um, and fidelity to the mission that God has called us to, whatever that mission is. Minding the store and holding the line isn't, isn't, going to, isn't the cure to this virus of discouragement. It's yeah. actually being a mission-focused, mission-oriented, and moving things forward. And only in that way can the joy of the gospel infect the rest of the world around us. Yeah. And even like those of you who have launched, I don't say launched something new or been doing something that was bold and courageous and um, pushing things forward, you know how exciting that can be just doing that and how infectious the hope of that um, endeavor can be. And that's, yes, standing there and minding the store, maintaining is boring. Um, and that is not where that's not, it doesn't sound like that's what he's talking about as far as where the hope is going to come from. The hope is going to come from those of us and for those of us who are out there on the front lines of launching new things, trying new things, being bold and courageous and being on mission. Um, and it may not be like, honestly, it may not be new things. It may just be like what we were called to like in, in our, from our baptism to share the gospel and that, that right there, like that mission that all of us has, that may be sufficient. I mean, that actually will be sufficient to give us the hope that we need to get through this, you know, <laughs> depressing time, you know, um, and to get over some of this discouragement. Right. But, but, but if you read it in kind of a, uh, a summarized way, the virus of discouragement has a cure, and that cure is ministry leadership. Yep. People who are willing to step boldly into the role of the ministry that they've been called to and act out through the apostolates that they have been called to serve. And make no mistake that your family is one of your apostolates. Yep. That, that trip that you took with your family, you were on mission by virtue of the fact that you were with your apostolate. The family is like your first mission, you know? And so there's something profound about that because we need to make this accessible to all people. Yep. As ministry leaders, we have to multiply that reality and help them understand that by, by virtue of their baptism, they are called to be missionary disciples and living signs of the presence of God. And that means that they are the cure. We're part of the solution. We're not part of the problem. And that's a beautiful thing if we just embrace that radical call. Chris, like, will you look up real quick, like, definition, like, the actual definition of apostolate? Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about is you, when you talk, uh, like, to people who have families, that's one thing. But what about the the ministry leaders out there that are single? Um, they still have apostolates that are part of their vocation where they are currently. Yes. And so what is that? You know, so that's why I wanted you to, like, define apostolate and see if it def if it fits, you know, and, and, and I mean, with our vocation. 
Um, because like as a married man, you know, and as a uh, ordained priest, their vocation in the apostolate is obvious, but the vocation in the apostolate of a single person isn't always obvious, I don't think. And they, they tend to not think of themselves in that same way, but they are absolutely part of an apostolate through their vocation. Um, and, and what is that apostolate? Yeah, and so to speak to that, I, I have some friends that are married, and they cannot have children, but they're still called to be fruitful and multiply right? And so what does that mean to be fruitful and multiply? Where they, they are bearing fruit in the way that they serve, the different areas that they volunteer, and they're multiplying God's love. So make no mistake that they're still fulfilling that calling in spite of the fact that some of the fertility issues have prevented children. Yep. And so uh, apostolate has a couple of definitions, but the one that uh, I believe the Holy Father is referring to is religious or evangelistic activities or works. Yes, I, I think that... Uh... Our, our single brothers and sisters also like have apostolates that they are living. Um, and a lot of times that is not spoken of or talked about with regards to how they're building up the kingdom, the mission that they are on. And it's insanely effective. Yeah. We know of seventh graders, of 10th graders who catch fire at a retreat and go home and their family encounters Jesus because of them. Yeah. Do you see? So there, so as sons and daughters, you're still part of an apostolate because you're called to serve your family. Um, but in the bigger sense, like the solution is mission. And we are waiting to receive something from God. And God is saying, no, let me use your hands and your feet to share something with others. And that's the solution. It's such a different mindset from the consumer mentality. And it's like for even for the pandemic, uh, COVID-19, you want to receive a vaccine in this, the Holy Father is saying you are the vaccine yeah. to the to the virus of discouragement. Yeah. And and then he gets a little bit more intense. I told you we were going camping, okay? So um, <laughs> so on the final mass of the trip, he's he's in Iraq and he's saying, We see how Jesus drove out the, the money changers. He did something forceful, and he did it because his father sent him to cleanse the temple, not the temple of stone, but the temple of our hearts. And he goes on and says, all of us have these, right? Our hearts must be cleansed of what? Purified of what? All of us have these. They are diseases that harm the heart, soul of our lives, and make them insincere. We need to be cleansed of these deceptive securities that would barter our faith in God with passing things, with temporary advantages. Like, this is like... I don't know if anyone on the plane with the Holy Father wants to quote some things because he's been misquoted a number of times, but this is the type of leadership that is like bold. And he's like, cleanse the temple of your heart first. To cleanse our heart, we need to dirty our hands, to feel accountable, and not to simply look as uh, on as our brothers and sisters are suffering. Yeah. Amen. Wow. I'm going to keep going. We need Jesus, he says. He has the power to conquer evil, to heal our diseases, and to rebuild the temple of our hearts. Like, that is just so powerful to be able to say we are going to be radically dependent on God and radically confident in God, so much so that we're going to have radical action that flows from God, and in doing so, we're going to dispel the impurities that exist not just within our own hearts, but within the society around us with this virus of discouragement that has been born up out of some of this. So I, I love this. You know, I think it's amazing. Like, but on the practical side of things, um, what does this look like? If I am feeling discouraged and I don't have motivation to do something, like where do I start? 
Great question. Yeah. And so I think that it is consistency, right? Because I think that's one thing that we struggle with as a church is we teach the intellectual, the theological, but the spiritual, you can't really teach. You have to form. And I don't know if we form people in prayer the way that they need to be formed. And here's one way that I would recommend people be formed in prayer by someone who says the fruits of prayer are amazing. But the first nine months really are difficult Mm. because when you sit in silence for, say, 20 minutes a day and you've never done that before and you've just rattled off a rosary to check a box, which is not how everyone prays the rosary, to be clear, but that's how I had started praying the rosaries just to check a box and to say, I prayed today. When you do that and you start all of a sudden inviting God into the silence, into contemplation and things of that nature, it is a lonely prayer style for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And nine months is a short amount of time. But if we keep sticking with it and keep sticking with it, we kind of enter into our own school of prayer. And so we don't teach that prayer is discouraging. We don't give people uh, ample tools and things like that because it's easier to do the measurables. And you can measure if someone knows the seven sacraments or the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you can measure a rosary. (laughs) I said a rosary today. But that's something that I, I've heard for years and I'll always heard, like the, the number one thing we can do for prayer or during prayer, like maybe the only thing we can do is be consistent, is show up, you know, um, for like a certain amount of time every day. And so that's the, that's the first step that you would suggest for people to do, like in confronting this discouragement is be consistent in your prayer. Um, what would be the next thing, Chris? Faithful prayer is fruitful prayer. Next would be to discern, I think, your gifts and put them at the service of the Lord. Yeah, like, and even in that prayer time, start asking, um, or start just reflecting, like, what are some of your own personal desires? You know, um, because like God has gifted you with those desires. Um, and one, I mean, all of us um, will have a there's a tendency to take the desires we have and uh, pervert them or whatever, have them not line up with exactly what God wants. You know, so um, example, God gives us a desire for relaxation, you know, and so we relax by playing 12 hours of video games a day. And then we're exhausted. That's a perversion of that desire for relaxation. Yes. Um, So there is like a true... Um, God-given desire that he delights in that we have. And he's given it to you, like a particular desire for like in your heart that's different than other people. Like just because someone else has a deep desire to serve the poor doesn't mean you don't desire to serve the poor, but that may not be where God is calling you like like deeply to invest in. He may be calling you deeply to invest in um, the... Uh, anti-abortion or, you know, pro-life movement, or it might be with youth, or it might be RCIA, or it might be evangelization. It could be a, a, a myriad of other things where it's so just like tease out those desires. Like, where is God like planting these desires in your heart? And then start reflecting on that. It's like, oh, do I have energy behind this? Is there some energy to do something, even something small with this? And that may be exactly the apostolate that God wants you to start working on. Yes, so so really to be driven by a charism-based apostolate, like that's the movement that you want to go into. Yep. And it's hard in this time, especially with social media and things like that, we all have a couple of friends that are radically on fire for the apostolate that they're a part of. So much so that sometimes the air leaves the room in the conversation to where it's like, I, I if I want to serve in any other way, they're going to feel like I'm underserving this area. 
It's okay if God has called me to one ministry, that it also implies that he said no to these other ministries so that I can say that full yes to this ministry and to embrace that and to run with that. And I also understand that there's times where that ministry is not a formal church parish ministry. Sometimes it's the ministry of your family or your suffering elderly grandparent or parent or whatever it is. Or just your neighbor, like your neighborhood. Like it may have nothing, like it may just be accompaniment of, of, of a neighbor and it have, may have nothing to do with religion at all. Just that they, they have someone to talk to. And those who have in this pandemic leaned into the people on their left and their right, specifically their neighbors, I don't think that they've been infected with the virus of loneliness or mm-hmm. discouragement yep. like, uh, like so many in our, in our culture and society have. So, yep. um, good. Okay. So big high level overview. Pope Francis is awesome. He's bold. He went to Iraq and he shared boldly in regards to some of the basic realities that our daily fidelity and uh, daily fidelity and persevering in prayer into an action into our apostolates is what's going to be the cure, um, the vaccine to this uh, virus of discouragement. So that is not specific in any way other than that we need to follow that prayer and discern our own charisms and put that faith into action, into our own calling to serve. And that indeed will uh, cure some of the discouragement that we see, not just in our own lives, not just in our own heart, but also in our community. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen. Excellent, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Let's continue the conversation online. Just search Ministry Leaders Anonymous on our closed Facebook group. Please send any feedback you guys have to mla at ablaze.us. And please share this podcast with someone. We are talking about things that every ministry leader needs to hear. So every ministry leader that you know should be listening to this with us. Amen. Thank you so much. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders, to discern your own apostolate, refine that a little bit, and make it the cure to the virus of discouragement that exists in your community. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.